Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you hit that like button, especially if you want me to keep putting out these extra large shows. And let's just jump into it. Ethan Klein facing a lot of backlash right now. The host of the H3 podcast talking about Kanye West and all the controversy surrounding the anti-Semitism that he's been spewing lately. Talking about how Kanye had been hanging out with the likes of Candace Owens, then leading them to talk about her work with the Daily Wire and Ben Shapiro. At that part of the conversation, you had people saying, uh, Ethan went DEFCON 3. Got another fucked up joke I wanted to say. Easy, Tiger. I was just gonna say, if there's Whoops. another Holocaust and people start oh, rounding boy. up uh. the Jews, this. I just say, if we they start rounding up the Jews again, I hope Ben gets gassed first or last. Jesus. Yeah. Very little not to. Um, What's up? Not to speak. Off the rails. If I speak, Wednesday, I'm in, in big trouble. Can I not say that? Yes. In you big can't. Oh my God. Yeah, I, what am I gonna, on today. What am I gonna? I can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm part of the, I'm getting gassed too. With him almost instantly facing a ton of criticism and backlash, largely from conservatives and far-right figures in particular, as well as others calling Ethan a scumbag, arguing that his channel should be deleted. People saying if Kanye deserves to be called out for his remarks, Ethan should as well. He also had others saying they don't agree with Ben Shapiro's views, but they think that the joke was too far. All of this even leading to a response from Shapiro himself saying, if there was another Holocaust, I would hope that Ethan and his family escaped. But maybe that's just me. But to that, H3 responded saying, hey Ben, it's a joke. Do conservatives know what those are? And sure, in poor taste, but not not as poor taste as you platforming anti-Semites who spread dangerous conspiracies that leads to real violence against Jews. That's the meaning of my joke, but of course you don't care about context. And Ethan doubled down on the same stance today during his podcast with Hassan Piker, who said this was a lot of manufactured outrage. They always do this. They try to like deflect away and go, what about this guy? He's actually anti-Semitic. Uh, or what about this guy? He's the real racist. Like it's a, it's a classic conservative trope at this point to turn around and like find anything and everything they can to, to shift the attention away. And, and, you know, you gave them an opening uh, with, yeah. uh, with, with colorful language like that, for sure. And along those lines, you also had a lot of people defending Ethan as well. People posting things like, Ethan Klein is Jewish. Jews are allowed to make dark jokes about our own history. And adding, like, it's funny when MAGA freaks and conservatives cry about this shit, but you obviously do not care about Jewish people. Stop pretending we already know you hate us. As well as, no one believes Ethan Klein is an anti-Semite. They know he is Jewish and that this was a joke. Klein has literally been swatted by neo-Nazis. But still, you had others saying, yeah, he can be a Jewish person, but that doesn't justify joking about someone being murdered. And actually, in a huge up to this story that happened while I was filming this video. Looks like YouTube is cracking down on Ethan Klein right now. With a video where Ethan made the original joke about Shapiro getting taken down for harassment and bullying. And then even the new live stream today got taken down. With Hassan even going on his own stream later to confirm that it was taken down. I woke up early this morning and I went over to Leftovers and I shot Leftovers and you guys won't be able to see the episode if you weren't watching live. And the reason for that is because it's been taken down. They came after our boy. They came after Ethan for saying things uh, that were definitely, you know, a little, a little spicy, a, a spicy facility. Okay. He went real full spice. Okay. He went spicy facility with it. And, uh, and of course he caught a strike because conservatives love outrage. So here we are. And regarding the spicy comments, you had some pointing to this moment. And so, but yeah. Okay. So the usual suspects come along all Basically, I would say, if not openly anti-Semitic or like anti-Semitic adjacent, all these people, like if there's another Holocaust, these are the people pushing the button. I'm sure of it. You know what I mean? 
Candace Owens is going to be the one to sh- usher Ben right into that chamber. You know what I'm talking about? And say, bye-bye, old Benny boy. Once again, this is updating in real time. This is a developing story. So while we wait to see what happens next, if we get more answers, I'll pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts with this whole situation? And then, <laughs> online gambling, Twitch, debate, controversy. It's been very messy for a while now. A lot of creators taking shots at one another, being very, very public. All that backlash leading to Twitch actually banning certain types of gambling content on the platform. And a phrase slash question that's been thrown around a lot during this controversy, and also controversies like this, is, uh, is it really worth it? People often throwing that question at the creators that we're doing the most gambling on these streams. And the update to that question and story, if this is true, is uh, for many of you, probably. I don't want to assume who you are as a person, but the dollars mentioned in this story, they're the kind of dollars that are mentioned in like when you were in middle school and someone was like, would you suck your own dad's dick for a hundred million dollars? And you're like, stop asking stupid fucking questions. But stay on track. That brings us to train wrecks. You had many creators on that platform pointing fingers at him, calling him corrupt. He was very into gambling. A lot of his content was built around that. There's constantly been a question around that. And yesterday, if he is to be believed, he revealed how much money he brought in saying, I'll release what I got paid since the beginning of my contract. I've been paid $360 million for 16 months of gambling. I could buy Hassan, Pokey, and Ludwig all together and sell them and buy them again. So with that, you had people trying to poke holes in that number, saying this is from sponsorships alone, that it doesn't take into account how much money he lost while gambling. Trainwreck's also claiming that on and offline, he's given away around $70 million. But... Honestly, whatever the fucking number is, if we're talking about nine-figured numbers, it's a lot of numbers. Like when the biggest pushback is, it was probably only eight figures. Like this, why are we having this conversation? But also that wasn't the only reason Trainwrecks was in the news. Right, possibly related to the ban on Twitch that most affects him. He announced yesterday, I'm going to create a platform or team up with one. And instead of only contracting large creators, I want to primarily contract small mid-sized creators. Current platforms deem you irrelevant, but you are the backbone of the entire industry and you deserve at least a little security. And this notably not only coming at a time where, you know, the, the Twitch gambling ban is going to affect him, but also as Twitch is announced that it is changing its subscription revenue payouts for certain creators. And so almost instantly, there were a lot of interested people. And personally, I will say, I'm very interested to see if he actually follows through on this, and if so, what it looks like. Everything seems stupid or unthinkable until it actually becomes a thing, and then everyone's like, oh yeah, obvious, this is so obvious that it's a thing. But hey, time will tell, and in the meantime, uh, I'd love to pass the question off to you. For $100 million, would you suck your dad? And then, this eviction story is one of the craziest I've ever covered. So it starts in the small town of Long Meadow, Massachusetts with a 55-year-old woman by the name of Rory Woods. Rory, back in 2018, was evicted after fighting to stay in her home for years, then made to live on disability in a tent, and also interrupted her cancer treatment. And so for her, eviction is a very, very personal thing. And while it's unclear if she knows the person involved in this news story, somehow she finds out about a court-ordered eviction happening in Long Meadow. She reportedly drives to this house, pulls into the driveway where she finds protesters already outside, sheriff's deputy waiting for the occupant to return from court, at which time Woods gets out of her car. She goes around back to a flatbed trailer stacked with boxes full of bees. Not the bees! While donning a beekeeper suit, she turns this eviction into a sting operation, allegedly shaking these hives to get those little fuckers as pissed off as she was, then starting to open them, but then she sees a deputy coming. So she just goes, fuck it, and breaks open one of the hives. She flips another off the trailer. She unleashes a massive buzzing swarm with hundreds of aggravated bees onto the deputy who gets stung in the face and retreats. Meanwhile, Woods allegedly opens more hives, then rolls one over to the entryway of the house to block the cops, who at this point try to stop her, but the bees keep them back. So they end up actually having to take shelter in the house. I'm calling it a reverse eviction. Though, eventually, two deputies did manage to navigate the swarm and tackle Woods, with one of them reportedly telling her on the way to the police cruiser that he and several of his officers are allergic to bees, to which she allegedly replied, Oh, you're allergic? 
Good. Meanwhile, you have the protesters there yelling at the cops not to arrest her. At this point, she's basically their hero. But for Wood, she has now been charged with multiple felony offenses, including assault with a dangerous weapon, which I can only assume means the bees. And as far as the damage from that weapon, police say that three deputies and a sheriff's office photographer were stung in the face, hand, ear, and back of the head, with one reportedly even going to the hospital as well as there being several bystanders getting stung. But ultimately, where I'll leave this story is by passing the question off to you. What are your thoughts on this story that everyone's buzzing about? I hate myself. Okay. And then, with the NFL season now having started up, concerts in full swing, MLB playoffs happening, basketball starting this month, there's an event happening for everyone and you're not gonna wanna miss out. Which is why I wanna thank one of our fantastic sponsors today, SeatGeek. Whether it's concerts, football, baseball, theater, or more, SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. You know, I'll use it for big events, like I use SeatGeek to go to the Super Bowl, but also I use it to see if there's comedians in town, catch a Dodgers game, I love, oh my God. My new favorite thing is snagging up tickets to watch LAFC. Soccer and hockey, definitely my favorite sports to watch in person. And that's also why SeatGeek's my go-to. SeatGeek wants to make sure that you're getting a good deal. So when you're on the app, you just look for the green dots. Green means good deal, red means bad. And I've also got the hookup for you. Use code Phil for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. It's $20 off your first purchase with promo code Phil. So make sure you click that link in the description to download the app. And then why do I make this show and the TikToks and post everything I do on social media if at the same time I am very publicly saying I think social media is largely poison for your brain? Well, to put it simply, I I think that I'm the good kind of poison. You get your daily dose of vitamin DeFranco, it takes 25 minutes or less, and then you don't have to doom scroll. And all the people in the world could be like, get off social media, but I don't think that's realistic for most people, so this is the better option. Especially because I know that if you're watching this show at some point, if not actively now, you doom scroll. Are you living your life and for a second you're like, let me just take a moment to see what's happening. Oh, how to avoid being trafficked at Costco. How to know when you're crying out microplastics. 73% of Airbnb hosts have watched you poop. I made up that last number. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that we need to have more and more conversations around social media and mental health. Right, last week we talked about that and the trend of people using places like TikTok as a resource to help them. And today I wanted to continue that conversation by focusing on how people cannot just have a healthy relationship with their time online, but also how we can pass that on to other generations through media literacy. Right? Because when talking to Dr. Melissa Shepard and Dr. Pamela Rutledge, we learned that we are the only ones that can be fully responsible for our own social media usage. Yes, we can blame and point fingers validly, but we should also be wise about everything and really take the time to understand this. Because as Dr. Rutledge noted, it impacts people in different ways. It's really important for people to understand that it's a really a bell curve of effects. And so for people who are using it positively who understand the dynamics of it, it can be a very positive experience. But for a young person who doesn't have any media literacy training, who hasn't been really schooled in how visual and communication can make them feel or how it can engage them in ways that are unhealthy, it can be a very negative thing. According to a poll earlier this year from the American Psychiatric Association and Morning Consult, roughly one third of adults say that social media does more harm than good for their mental health. And fucking 44% say social media has hurt society at large. But like we've talked about before, despite these very valid concerns, it's unrealistic to think that most people can just give it up altogether because social media is too universal. So you have people like Dr. Rutledge saying, one of the best things you can do to manage your relationship with it is to be very aware about why you are using social media to begin with. Even recommending keeping a journal for a couple of days where you write down what app you were using, how you ended up opening it, what you were doing. What is it that I'm trying to get done? Is it helping or is it getting in my way? 
And once you've decided about those things, then you can make rules for yourself. And once you zoom out, it's the kind of advice that's so logical, it almost seems obvious, except for the fact that it's just not something we think about in our day-to-day -day lives. Also, to consensually insert myself into this story, I highly recommend you just get a journal and jot shit down. Like, you don't need to be like, dear diary. But sometimes it'll be a few sentences, sometimes it's a few pages. It can help you in the now, but also it's a great way to be able to look back and be like, oh man, things were really bad, or oh, those were better times, what happened? And at the very least, I think it's just kind of good to break out of that cycle of consume, 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 because a lot of us, we we just scroll and scroll and scroll and we kind of move on with that kind of mentality. And then in addition to all the negative shit we end up consuming, I mean, you, you can run into straight up misinformation with in fact, misinformation being a big issue that most Americans are concerned about. And that's not just me or you projecting. In a 2021 poll, they found that 95% of US adults believe that misinformation was a problem, which may in fact be the highest percentage of Americans that have ever agreed on anything ever. Though the, the key and notable thing is if 95% of people have these concerns, there is a decent chunk that have that concern who are also consuming and promoting misinformation. Right? It's always other people or organizations that are the problem with the vast majority of Americans saying that social media companies and social media users are to blame for the spread of it. But only one in five are extremely worried that they have spread it themselves, which makes sense here, but also in life, we are often our biggest blind spot. And it's a hard thing to do, but it is something important to keep in mind. And in fact, Dr. Shepard touched specifically on health misinformation, which is just a massive subset of this massive problem. I think honestly, it's just important for anybody who's consuming social media in any form to keep in mind, you know, who is posting, what they're posting about. So even among us professionals, you know, we're not free of bias. And you know, you don't need me to tell you how biases can lead to misinformation, both in health and in other spheres as well. And there's really no topic that's immune to it, right? It could be news, politics, celebrity stories, health, whatever. So Dr. Rutledge agrees with the mentality of always being extra aware. So it's very important, again, for the user to be to have some level of media literacy, to understand that not everything is just because it's on TikTok or in the media that it's real or true or that that person's an expert. It just means that that person has a video recording device. But how do you combat something so massive? Well, for starters, Dr. Shepard thinks that at least when it comes to health, the more professionals on social media, the better. Those of us who are healthcare professionals, mental health professionals can really do a good service by like getting on to combat some of that misinformation and just increase access to the education that people are wanting. I think it's still not a perfect system because like the misinformation tends to be so much more dramatic and exciting. And like, that's the thing that goes viral. But I also think that as we, as medical professionals share, you know, true research supported information, we're also building a community of people that are more likely to relate to and trust us. But also I think another key thing and a solution is equipping people with the power and knowledge of media literacy from a very young age. If we're going to live so much of our lives online, it's just going to be an extension of our everyday. We need to learn how to do that safely. And Dr. Rutledge, I think, had like a really good analogy when trying to talk about this. You know, we don't learn to drive by getting handed the car keys. We go to driver's training. Technology, smartphones, all these things are incredibly powerful. So what I would love to see is everyone starting at a very early age, start to understand how these things work. And in her eyes saying that the best way to learn is no different than most any other thing through experience and arguing that this is especially true for young people. I am also not in favor of parents using these sort of uh, social app blockers and technology things that that keep children from going places because then they never learn. And there's going to be all kinds of events where kids are able to access media without parental oversight. And if they don't have the skills to think critically, to make judgments, to know how to block, to know how to step away, 
they are very vulnerable. Once people become aware, they make completely different choices. And I and I think that that is so empowering to see it. Really emphasizing that knowledge is power. But ultimately, that's where I'm gonna leave this story for now. Also, regarding media literacy, I, I wanna link to some resources down below in the description. Because you know, we live in a world where we can't control a lot, but we can control how we consume things, react to it, and what we do. And while I think given enough time, no one can ever have a perfect track record, I think as long as we are trying to be better, that's the first step. And arguably, that's the key thing. And then, I wanna take a second to thank a fantastic sponsor of today's show, Ridge. You know, I've had a Ridge wallet before they even became a sponsor. I love that Ridge is a minimalist front pocket wallet that's slim, RFID blocking, and comes with a lifetime guarantee. I think we all know that most men's wallets are trash. They're bulky. They're just stashing all his useless bullshit, receipts, old gift cards, whatever. And they're just not practical for the modern man or woman. But the Ridge, it helps you carry less, but always what you need. And the Ridge Wallet's awesome sleek design has to be what I love the most. There are over 30 colors and styles with two metal plates bound together by a durable elastic band, so it's easy to get out what you want and easy to put in something new. Their key case is also super sleek and durable. It holds up to six keys and takes the jingle out of the whole key ring experience. And I truly believe Ridge products are a game changer. So check out their wallets, their key cases, all their goodness over at ridge.com slash DeFranco and make sure you use code DeFranco to get 10% off site wide. And then people have been getting arrested in Florida and even the police doing it don't see to know why. Apparently, I, I guess you have a warrant? For what? I'm not it's sure. For voter stuff, man. For voters. Right, so that is just a bit of the absolutely wild recently released body cam footage that shows people being arrested on charges of voting illegally. And as far as these specific videos, they come from 20 arrests made back in August by the elections police force Governor Ron DeSantis created in response to false claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. And the people who were arrested were specifically accused of violating a state law that bans people convicted of murder or felony sexual offenses from voting after their sentences are complete. And while those prohibitions on their own are not uncommon, what's different here is that back in 2018, Florida voters approved a constitutional amendment that restored the the right to vote for many felons. Though, a very key thing to remember, the amendment did not include people convicted of murder or felony sex offenses who were required to apply to have their rights reinstated through a separate process. But what we ended up seeing is that after the amendment was approved, Republican state lawmakers launched efforts to further limit felon voting rights, thus creating a ton of confusion. Right, not only were many felons unsure if they could actually register to vote, some county officials were also unable to figure it out themselves, with us seeing a federal judge even condemning the Republicans for creating, quote, an administrative nightmare and raising constitutional questions about their actions. And while that general confusion has persisted in the years, since it's made even worse because Florida voter registration forms still don't provide any clarity, with the Tampa Bay Times explaining. They only require a potential voter to swear under penalty of perjury that they're not a felon, or if they are, that their rights have been restored. The forms do not clarify that those with murder convictions don't get automatic restoration of their rights. And when you go through all the body cam footage, it clearly shows multiple people confused about why they're being arrested. This including the man I showed at the top of this story, Tony Patterson. What it is, it, I think the agents with FDLE talked to you last week about some voter fraud, voter stuff, when you weren't supposed to be voting, maybe. Right, Patterson keeps asking what he's being arrested for, and one of the officers explains it's because he voted when he wasn't supposed to due to his status as a sex offender. He says he didn't know and asks why they're doing this now if it happened years ago, and then after he's cuffed and put in the cop car, we see... Why would y'all let me vote if I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to vote? I'm not sure, buddy. I don't know. Right, and that's just one example, but according to reports, some of the people arrested say they've been told that they were cleared to vote by election officials. This including one man named Nathan Hard, who's also a registered sex offender, and he told officers the story while he was being arrested. Uh, no one ever really explained all that much to me. I told the guys when they came out here that I was at the, the driver's license place, my new driver's license. Yeah. The guy there asked me, he says, hey, can you vote? He says, hey, are you registered to vote? I said, oh, I'm convicted felon. I'm pretty sure I can. He goes, well, are you still on probation? I said, no, uh, I got off probation like a month ago. He goes, well, then you can probably vote. Hey, just fill out the form, and if you can vote, then they'll let you give you a card. If you can't vote, then you won't. And I'm like, 
right. Goes with another woman, Ramona Oliver, saying she had been told that she was eligible to vote after being released from prison three years ago, where she was serving time for second degree murder. And her lawyer claiming that she had applied to vote after someone working for a voter registration drive approached her. Also saying she completed another registration form six months later when she updated her address. And according to the Tampa Bay Times, after brief eligibility checks by the Department of State, which reports to DeSantis and is responsible for cleaning the rolls of ineligible voters, she was given a voter ID card both times. With a key thing there being that Oliver wasn't removed from the rolls until March 30th this year, more than two years later. And so with all of this, you have many accusing DeSantis of only arresting these people as part of a political strategy to bolster himself and his fake election claim. Or because think about it, who wants to be on the side or even have sympathy for convicted murderers or sex offenders? Right? It's very easy to hear this story and be like, okay, bad things are happening to bad people. But with that, you still have people saying, no, the, the law should be the law for everyone. If what's happening now is unjustified, that's the only thing that matters. And so as far as what happens next, I mean, all 20 of these people who are arrested face up to five years in prison. But as the New York Times reports, legal experts, including at least one Republican state legislator, have said that many, if not all the 20 arrests appear unjustified because the supposed perpetrators had no idea they were breaking the law. And noting in Florida, a conviction of voter fraud requires proof of intent. So you have many people pointing to the body cam video saying, look, they seem genuinely confused by a genuinely confusing law. But as far as what happens from here, we're gonna have to wait and see. And while we wait, of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. And then British Prime Minister Liz Truss is out. Resigning today after it was clear she no longer had the support of her conservative party and just wow. Truss was the country's third prime minister since 2019 and she only lasted 45 days. People were like, oh, she couldn't do worse than party boy Boris. Nope, she was out before the head of lettuce went bad. She was out 4.1 Scaramucci's later. Right? And she had promised a new direction for the government and was elected under the premise that she would pass a major economic package. But her deal ended up being extremely controversial and included major tax cuts that many believe the country could not afford, leading to volatile markets and economic turmoil. In fact, it was so bad that the Bank of England had to step in to calm things down before pensions were fucked. And what really did her in was the perception that she had lost control of her party, which in the UK system is pretty much as bad as it can get. But there was allegedly chaos in Parliament yesterday after a vote on shale fracking turned into just a shit show, leading to accusations from the Labour Party that conservative whips were literally placing hands on people to get votes behind the scenes. That was just the tip of the iceberg. You had Home Secretary Suella Braverman resigning yesterday, saying that she had concerns about the direction of this government. Also on Friday, the finance minister was fired, leading to Jeremy Hunt replacing him and quickly doing a 180 on Truss's proposed tax cuts. And I mean, I mean, if Truss is going to be remembered for anything beyond being the shortest serving prime minister, it's likely going to be for policy U-turns. However, despite all this, if her resignation still is coming as a shock to you after hearing about all this, I wouldn't blame you. And that's because just yesterday, she told the public she wouldn't resign and added, Mr. Speaker, I am a fighter and not a quitter. Though changing her tune today and saying, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. And as far as the reaction, uh, the markets were very happy. Also, we had people loving the Daily Star lettuce bit. And lettuce we trust is just fucking beautiful. And I mean that just as far as wordplay. But uh, of course, the big important question here is what the hell happens next? Are things have moved so fast, the Conservative leadership is scrambling to get the ball moving for a new leader. Until then, Trust is actually going to continue as PM. With the top candidates right now reportedly being, and you're gonna love this, House of Commons leader Penny Mordaunt, Defense Secretary, Ben Wallace or our old friend Boris, who is reportedly on vacation in the Caribbean, though uh, likely packing his shit up as fast as possible. Bojo is on the go and no matter what happens, I'll let you know. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. I'd of course love to hear from you in those comments on whatever stood out to you the most today. Also, for more news that you need, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.